0: All right. We're going to go ahead and read the 80th psalm. To the chief musician set to the lilies, a testimony of Asaph, a psalm. Give ear, O shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock, you who dwell between the cherubim, shine forth. Before Ephraim, Benjamin, and Manasseh, stir up your strength and come and save us. Restore us, O God. Cause your face to shine and we shall be saved. O Lord God of hosts, how long will you be angry? Against the people of the prayer of your people, you have fed them with the bread of tears and given them tears to drink in great measure. You have made us strife uh, to our neighbors, a strife to our neighbors, and our enemies laugh among themselves. Restore us, O God of hosts! Cause your face to shine, and we shall be saved. You have brought a vine out of Egypt. You have cast out the nations and planted it. You prepared room for it and caused it to take deep root, and it filled the land. The hills were covered with its shadow and the mighty cedars with its boughs. She sent out her boughs to the sea and her branches to the river. Why have you broken down her hedges so that all who pass by the way pluck her fruit? The boar out of the woods uproots it and the wild beast of the field devours it. Return, we beseech you, O God of hosts. Look down from heaven and see and visit this vine and the vineyard which your right hand has planted and the branch that you made strong for yourself. It is burned with fire, it is cut down. They perish at the rebuke of your countenance. Let your hand be upon the man of your right hand, upon the son of man whom you have made strong for yourself. Then we will not turn back from you. Revive us and we will call upon your name. Restore us, O Lord God of hosts. Cause your face to shine and we will be saved. All right, our uh, sermon text today is from Genesis 48. It's verses eight through 16. And our sermon today is entitled, um, By Faith, Jacob. Starting at verse eight, it says, Then Israel saw Joseph's sons and said, Who are these? And Joseph said to his father, They are my sons whom God has given me in this place. And he said, Please bring them to me, and I will bless them. Now the eyes of Israel were dim with age, so that he could not see. Then Joseph brought them near him, and he kissed them and embraced them. And Israel said to Joseph, I had not thought to see your face, but in fact, God has also shown me, your offspring. So Joseph brought them from beside his knees and he bowed down with his face to the earth. And Joseph took them both, Ephraim with his right hand toward Manasseh, uh, right hand toward Israel's left hand and Manasseh with his left hand towards Israel's right hand and brought them near him. Then Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it on Ephraim's head, who was the younger, and his left hand on Manasseh's head, guiding his hands knowingly. For Manasseh was the firstborn. And he blessed Joseph and said, God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has fed me all my life long to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the lads. Let my name be upon, my name be named upon them and the name of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. Now, what I'd like you to do is I'd like you to take just a second and thank What is it that you believe is your greatest achievement that you will be rewarded for by Jesus? And I'm assuming everybody here is a saved Christian. Romans 14.10 says that we're all going to stand before Jesus Christ at the judgment. In 1 Corinthians chapter three, Paul says that our foundation is Jesus Christ. He then goes on to say this. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, Each one's work will become clear, for the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has uh, built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. So again, the question is, what do you feel that you are going to be most rewarded for What is it that you do that pleases God the most? Is it how much money you gave to the church or some other charity? Is it how many times you've read your Bible? Maybe it's that you kept the speed limit all of your life. Could that be it? What thing or things do you think God is most pleased with? The answer is so basic and it's so seemingly unimportant in our world today and so simple that we skip right over it. And yet it is the thing that the ancients were most noted for And it is the thing which allows us access into heaven itself. It is simple faith. Today, we will see Jacob's greatest act of faith, which is recorded in just a few short verses, and they seem to have nothing to do with faith at all. It is a beautiful passage, which is very deep in its theological significance. Our text verse for today comes from Hebrews chapter 12. It's the first two verses. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. A little squiggle for your brain. My very favorite verse in the entire Bible is Hebrews chapter 12, verse two. And it's actually the first seven words of that verse if you use the NIV, which says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus. I don't think there's any more important admonition in the entire Bible. So there you go, Charlie's favorite verse. Hebrews chapter 11, though, details the faithful actions of God's people. And it shows us those things with with which God was most pleased. Then at the beginning of chapter 12, we are asked to follow suit with them and to lay aside everything that could weigh us down and just to simply focus our eyes on Jesus. If we pursue this end with all of our souls... This will be the thing that we are most noted for when we stand before him and we receive our rewards. It is all about Jesus, and we are asked to place all of our faith in him. And he is to be found in his superior word. So let's go to that word now, and may God speak to us through his word today, and may his glorious name ever be praised. Three thoughts for you today. The first is the sons whom God has given me. It's verses eight through 11. Verse 8 begins with, Then Israel saw Joseph's sons and said, Who are these? In verse 10, we're going to see that Jacob, who is now an old man, has eyes that are so dim that he can't tell who's near him any longer. He's been in a conversation with Joseph while the two sons stood by silently and listened. Now, after having explained to Joseph why he wanted to adopt the sons into his family, he asks about the two who came with him. Now, rather than Joseph being the one to introduce them first, he waited for Jacob to ask about them. They could have been friends from the royal court. They could have been royal bodyguards. They could have been his chariot men, or they could have been anybody else. Israel didn't know, and so now he asks about them. And not recognizing them is very important because it shows that his desire to adopt Joseph's sons was not simply based on some sudden affections that sprang up in his heart here they come and he sees his two grandsons and he says oh i'm going to do this great thing instead it is something that he had already decided on apart from any impulsive tugging in his heartstrings god has placed this in his heart for his reasons and jacob was following through with the prompting of the spirit in his life and i got to tell you what that is exactly what we should do all the time is follow the prompting of the spirit but i want to make a distinction that way too many people uh error in is they think that emotions are the prompting of the Spirit. You hear people say, I think this the Lord wants me to marry this particular lady. And that's an emotional thing and that is not a, the prompting of the Spirit by any way, shape, or form. For all, he knows that lady may be feeling the Spirit prompting her to marry somebody else. That's the way emotions work. They are not the Spirit's prompting. But... We can get the Spirit's prompting in our life by knowing that something that we feel is important is in line with the Bible and it is something that God would have for his redemptive purposes. If that's the case, being a missionary, for example, is something to affect his redemptive purposes. And there's nothing in the Bible that says, this is forbidden, then what do you do about it? You pray about it, you sanctify it by prayer, and then you go about doing that thing. That is following the Spirit's prompting. And this is what Jacob was doing. He was following the Word of God in his life. Verse nine, and Joseph said to his father, they are my sons whom God has given me in this place. His response is given as a confirmation of what Israel said way back in verse five, which was this, and now your two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, who were born to you in the land of Egypt before I came to you in Egypt are mine as Reuben and Simeon, they shall be mine. The sons born to him in Egypt before the arrival of the family are the sons who are now presented to him. And in credit to Joseph's character, which has been exceptional throughout the entire narrative of his life, he recognizes that it was God who gave those sons. He said, these are the sons whom God has given me. There's been this obvious directed care of his life from the very beginning even to this point, and it shows that everything has been more than just luck or happenstance. Every single thing that has happened to Joseph has been a result of God's directed attention to him as he has to this young man and if this is true with the many personal details of his rescue for example from the pit his being sold to an Egyptian noble the timing of his stay in prison which led to his being brought before Pharaoh and every single other thing that has happened then it must be true with the granting of his sons as well in faithful acknowledgement of that he credits God with their bestowal upon him and the concept is borne out in the Psalms We read this in the 127th Psalm. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. Happy is the man who has his quiver full of them. Verse nine continues. And he said, please bring them to me and I will bless them of all of the acts of jacob's life that are recorded beginning at his birth way way back in chapter 25 and continuing until his death which will be recorded in the next chapter chapter 49 this is a life which encompasses more detail than any other person in the entire book of genesis this act that he is about to engage in in conjunction with something he previously requested is what he's highlighted for in chapter 11 of hebrews there in the great hall of faith of the bible This is what is remembered of the man of God. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of his sons, uh, sons of Joseph, and worshipped, leaning on the top of his staff. The blessing of his sons and the worshipping on his staff are noted as his greatest moments of faith. And they are reversed in Hebrews. The worshipping was seen at the end of the previous chapter, after he'd been given the promise by Joseph that he would be buried with his fathers in Canaan. Now in this chapter, the blessing of the sons is given, but it is highlighted first by the author of Hebrews. One must ask then, what is it that makes this such a monumentous event that it is singled out as his greatest act of faith? Is it that he blessed them? Is it what the blessing said? Is it the unusual manner in which he will bless them? Why did the author of Hebrews decide on this as his greatest act of faith? To understand, we have to go back to Hebrews 11, verse 1, and we need to read the Bible's definition of faith. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. The answer is not found in the act of the blessing. That is a present and tangible reality to Jacob. As he blesses, the act is performed. However, the words of the blessing and the way that the blessing is conducted are in anticipation of the future. Combined, they form the greatest culminating moment in the life of Israel. This man spoke with God personally several times. He wrestled with him in the night. He held the covenant blessings and he inherited all of the possessions of his fathers before him. He beheld his son, Joseph, whom he believed to be dead and who had become the savior of the known world. He had even acknowledged God's blessing upon his life in all ways. But it was the unknown future, the unknown future, which he spoke of and which he acted towards that God found pleasing in his sight. This is what we should learn, if nothing else. And I mean this, if you don't remember one other thing from this sermon, from what it says in Hebrews chapter 11 about Jacob, this is what we should learn about ourselves. It is our faith that we will be rewarded for. The greatness of the man was not credited by God because of any of the many, many things which occurred during his life, but for his faith in the things coming after his life. This is what God was pleased with in Jacob, and it shows us what God will be pleased with in us as well. The things we do may be right, and they may be noble. Helping others? You know, you got a little old lady needs help across the street? Good job, okay? You may want to help support your church so that... You can continue to do things in the community. That's wonderful. Taking care of God's world as you pass through it. You know, you got something to throw in the recycle, throw it there instead of in the garbage. These are good. They're right things to do. But what God is most pleased with are not the things that you can see and act upon. They are the things that you cannot see, and yet you put your faith in them. And those things must, and I mean this sincerely, as we saw from our Prophecy Update today, They must be centered on Jesus Christ for them to be reckoned as worthy of note in God's sight. All of this history of Jacob, all of his acts and all of his blessings, all of his interactions with God and yet his faith in the future is what he is noted for. After Jacob dies, it's not going to be until the time of Moses, 200 years later, that another person receives such remarkable detail concerning his life and his deeds. But it is only his faith, his faith, that's singled out for note. Don't forget this lesson. Your faith is of great value in the sight of God. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. And so he seeks those who will simply believe his word. And to those who cherish and love him with each step they trod, who accept the gift of his son, Jesus our Lord. It is these with whom God is pleased. And upon them, his favor will last for all eternity. Through the blood of Christ, God's wrath has been appeased. And with his spirit, we are sealed our pledge of surety. Verse 10. Now the eyes of Israel were dim with age so that he could not see. This is reminiscent of Jacob's own father, Isaac. In Genesis 27, verse one, we read this about him prior to his bestowal of his blessing. It said, now it came to pass when Isaac was old and his eyes were so dim that he could not see that he called Esau, his older son, and said to him, my son. And he answered him, here I am. There is a difference though. In Isaac's case, the word translated as dim is kaha. It means dark. His eyes had lost their light and he was blind. He was completely unable to see because of it. In Jacob's case, the word is chaved. It means heavy. His eyes were poor and vision was so strained that it was difficult for him to see. And as has been the case many times so far, and as we're going to continue to see all the way through the pages of the Bible, when two things which are similar are noted, It is to show us both a contrast between the two and a confirmation of something in the case of isaac's blessing upon his son the lord had spoken to rebecca even before they were born with these words here's what the lord said two nations are in your womb two peoples will be separated from your body one people shall be stronger than the other and the older shall serve the younger in contrast god's plans were accomplished through isaac's blindness It was because of his infirmity that the prophecy was fulfilled. In the case of Jacob, however, we will see that it is despite his infirmity that God's will is accomplished. In contrast, but in confirmation, these two accounts demonstrate God's sovereignty over time and circumstance, as well as over all human choice. This does not mean that free will was excluded. I want to make sure you understand that. God uses our free will choices to direct his ultimate purposes. We cannot say that free will was excluded in Isaac's blessing since he couldn't see, because Jacob and Rebekah exercised their free will in order to deceive him. If free will were excluded, the fault would have to be credited to God, and that certainly is not the case. Thus, as I said, God's sovereignty is the confirmation between these two accounts one is in Canaan, one is in Egypt. He is sovereign over the entire earth. One shows a voluntary blessing over the wrong son, which turned out to be the correct one to bless. One shows a voluntary blessing over the right son, who is perceived to be the wrong son. Despite the contrasts, they confirm God's sovereign hand over every aspect of the situation that arises. In other words, God is in complete control over even the things that we think are out of his control. And I say this week after week. You know, we do these sermons that are detailed about the Bible rather than life application sermons. Because if you know the Bible and you see that God is in control of these type of details, you don't need to have somebody tell you that he's in control of the details. You know it. Because these are God's chosen people, his instruments for the plan of redemption that he cared for, that he loved immensely. And yet he was in control of the situation over them even when they think thought that he wasn't. If he feels this way about the covenant people that are going to lead to his son Jesus, how much more does he feel about us when we have called on Jesus? He is in complete control. So when your life feels like it's spinning out of control, and I can tell you personally that yesterday was one of the toughest days I've had in a long, long time. Everything was wrong. Every single thing that I could have go wrong went wrong with it. I just kept talking to the Lord through the whole thing. I consulted some counsel with some friends and they didn't respond. I had to talk to them about it this morning. But uh Anyway, it, it, it is that God is in control. And so we just need to talk to him about it. No doubt about it. Don't worry about life application sermons. Worry about knowing your word and applying what happened to those people to your own life and you'll be fine. Verse 10 continues. Then Joseph brought them near him and he kissed them and embraced them. Now we need to remember that these two sons are about 20 years old. They're not little children. And yet they allow their father to direct them and guide them. In this tender moment Joseph, or I'm sorry, Jacob kisses the two sons of Joseph. In all of the accounts of his life, Jacob is only noted as bestowing kisses. Anybody know how many times he's noted in the Bible of bestowing kisses? Anybody? I'm going to give you a hint. Anybody? 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 <coughs> Three. Three. Oh good. How did you know? There you go. See, she's been reading her Bible. The first time was when he deceived Isaac and kissed his father before receiving the blessing. The second time was when he first met his beloved wife, Rachel, and kissed her. And now this time when he kisses his two grandchildren, descendants of Rachel and those who will be included in the covenant blessing received from Isaac. It is not coincidence that only three instances are recorded. Others are noted as kissing him, like his father-in-law Laban and his brother Esau. Remember, they were reconciled and Esau came up and kissed him. But out of certainly many, many kisses that he bestowed in his long life, only these three accounts are given. They tie the life of Jacob together into a picture of God's sovereignty and of his grace. Verse 11, and Israel said to Joseph, I had not thought to see your face, but in fact, God has also shown me your offspring. It was a gap of more than 20 years that Jacob thought his son was dead. Never in his wildest imagination did he expect to see him again. But God had different plans, and they were reunited. And even more, he now beheld the sons of his lost son as well. However, though being translated as sons or children by some, okay, the word that Israel uses in this verse is zarecha. It means your seed. And there's a reason for this, which goes back to the promise to Abraham. He was told he would be the father of many nations, and that through his seed, the nations of the earth would be blessed. Paul builds on this in the New Testament and he says that we are sons of Abraham by faith in Christ. Joseph has pictured Christ married to a Gentile bride. Think of Joseph with his Gentile wife and he's pictured Christ through all of those sermons married to a Gentile bride. Those sons of his are being adopted into the commonwealth of Israel by Jacob right now. But they're already Abraham's descendants because of Joseph's lineage. This then is reflected in the letter to the Hebrews. And I want you to listen how closely the words there in Hebrews reflect what we see in Joseph picturing Christ and his sons picturing Gentile believers who are the seed of Abraham by faith in Christ. The parallel is exact. Listen to this. Here I am and the children whom God has given me. The exact words that Joseph just used, okay? And this is Jesus speaking. Here I am and the children that God has given me. Joseph's sons are being adopted into Israel, just as we are adopted into Israel's commonwealth. He goes on and he explains this now. Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of the flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is, the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Listen, for indeed he does not give aid to angels but he does give aid to the seed of Abraham. The author of Hebrews is writing to the Hebrews, but he is including all of Abraham's descendants in this letter. This adoption by Jacob pictures our adoption into the commonwealth of Israel because we are sons Mm -hmm. of Abraham by faith in Christ. This word zarecha, I'm telling you what, it is so important how God takes specific words and puts them in the Bible. Instead of saying, uh, what's the word in Hebrew for sons? Ben. He could have said, you're Ben, you're sons. He doesn't. He uses the word zarecha. One word which indicates everything that is happening in redemptive history that's pointing to you and to me. It's astonishing. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is truly a reward. Like arrows in the warrior's hand, so are the children of one's youth. Happy is the man with a quiver so grand. Children of wisdom, obedience, and truth. Imagine the multitude of Abraham's seed. How pleased Father Abraham must be. God has done a most glorious work. Indeed, by faith in Christ, we are adopted into his family tree. Our second thought today, led by the Spirit, verses 12 through 14. Verse 12 says, So Joseph brought them from beside his knees, and he bowed down with his face to the earth. After Jacob bestowed his affections on his grandchildren, Joseph conducted them out of the way in order to provide a clear path between himself and his father in order to humble himself before him. This is a demonstration of the immense respect seen often in the father-son relationship which is found in the Bible. Joseph, Joseph surpassed his father in worldly greatness. He surpassed him in wealth. He surpassed him in honor. And yet he Humbles himself before Israel Prior to the bestowal of the blessing Thus he is acknowledging That the inclusion of his sons Into the family As equals of his other sons Is greater than any other honor That he possessed And it is the highest honor That he could ever receive Verse 13 And Joseph took them both Ephraim with his right hand Toward Israel's left hand And Manasseh with his left hand Towards Israel's right hand And brought them near him This is the very first time in the Bible that the position of the right hand is noted as the preeminent position. It's going to be noted many, many times after this, and we even saw it in the psalm that I read right before we got started. Only one blessing is given, but a distinction is made between the right and the left. The one blessing then actually becomes two. If there were only one person, one or both of the hands would still transfer only one blessing. But when two are present the right is shown to be the one of greater note. Joseph knows this, and so he's purposely placing them in birth order to allow the older to receive the higher conferral. Because of what happened between Jacob and Esau 70 years earlier, when Isaac blessed the wrong son, the Bible is careful to note the measures that Joseph took to make sure that there would be no error in this blessing. In the case of Isaac and Jacob, there was intentional deceit to secure the blessing. In the case of Jacob and Joseph's sons, there is intentional care to properly secure the blessing. In both cases, there is a misunderstanding concerning God's plans. Jacob's father, Isaac, misunderstood, and Jacob's son, Joseph, now misunderstands. Israel is the link between the two, and the spirit is the guide for both. Verse 14, then Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it on Ephraim's head, who was the younger and his left hand on Manasseh's head, guiding his hands knowingly, for Manasseh was the firstborn. Despite Joseph's care, which the Bible meticulously notes, by the way, Israel does the unexpected when he pronounces his blessings. He guides his hands knowingly, as the New King James Version says, to cross over to the opposite sun. The word here translated knowingly is sikel. It means to consider or to deliberate. However, It may come from an unused root word, which means to intertwine, hence to cross. And this is why some translations say it one way and some say it another way. But in the end, the result is the same. He deliberately crossed his hands to pronounce this blessing. Thus he is placing the younger Ephraim above the older Manasseh. And this is something that has happened repeatedly so far in the Bible, and it is going to continue all the way through the Bible's pages. Already, just in Genesis, we've seen Abel placed above Cain. We've seen Shem placed above Japheth. Abraham before his older brother Haran. Isaac before Ishmael. Jacob before Esau. Jacob's second wife, Rachel, before his first wife, Leah. And Perez was placed ahead of Zerah. Again and again, God is returning us to this theme. And he's doing it for a very, very important reason. It's to show us the work of Jesus Christ. He is the second man being accepted over the failings of the first man, Adam. Paul details that completely, minute detail about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, which I'm not going to quote today. Just go read 1 Corinthians 15 and you'll see what this is being detailed here. But how does it specifically prefigure the work of Christ? In order to understand that, we have to go back and we have to look, as we did many, many long sermons ago, at the names of these two sons. Joseph named the first Manasseh, which means to forget, okay? And the reason why he did that is because he wanted to forget his family. He was down in the land of his affliction, okay? Manasseh pictures Adam. The name Manasseh comes from a verb, which is nasha. It means to forget in Hebrew. And thus, in the pages of the Bible, to forget something does not mean what we think in English. Something can be forgotten because the memory fades. That's passively forgetting but the, the Bible's idea of forgetting is active. It's taking something away voluntarily. And so Joseph was taking away the memory of the past. Joseph named his son Manasseh because he forgot, even though he didn't really forget. The word play on his name is that he forgot by taking away nasha. However, there's more to the name Manasseh. The name is also derived, the word Nashah, which means forget, means also a debt. The Bible's concept of a debt, once again, is different than we think of today. In the Bible, when something is lent out, it is pushed out of the mind. For example, Jesus says this in Luke chapter 6, "'If you lend to those from whom you hope to receive back, what credit is that to you? For even sinners lend to sinners to receive as much back. But love your enemies, do good and lend, hoping for nothing in return.' And your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the unthankful and evil. The idea is that a person in need would ask for a loan because he's in need, and so the loan should just be forgotten. If the debt is repaid, it is brought back to mind. If it isn't, it is to be water under the bridge. And so as much as Manasseh means to forget, it also means from a debt debt. The second name is Ephraim. Joseph named him Ephraim because he was twice fruitful in the land of his affliction, if you remember that. He pictures Christ. Ephraim comes from the word afar, which means fruitful. The I am at the end makes it plural, so it's either doubly pr- fruitful or twice fruitful. But the word afer also means ashes. And ashes are emblematic of grief or sorrow in the Bible, especially for judgment on sin such as when Abraham said, I who am but dust and ashes. What he meant by that is that he was a man made from the dust and one deserving of the judgment of being reduced to ashes. And so the double play on this name wasn't just that Joseph was doubly fruitful in the land of his affliction, but that he remained filled with grief over being separated from his father and his home there in the land of his affliction. And by understanding the naming of these sons and the wordplay that involves uh, both of their names, the picture of Christ will now make all the sense in the world. Manasseh means to forget, but it also means from a debt. He pictures Adam, who is the man who owes a debt, but that debt is forgotten in Christ. Ephraim means twice fruitful, but it also means ashes. He pictures Jesus. He is twice fruitful in the land of his affliction think of him coming to the earth the land of his affliction just like joseph going to egypt the land of his affliction and how is he twice fruitful he prevailed over the law and thus he became savior of both jew and gentile all right but because he was it means that sin had to be judged in him thus the ashes the land of his affliction This account of Jacob blessing Ephraim over Manasseh is given to specifically show us the work of Jesus Christ replacing the fallen deeds of Adam. And this is why such minute care has been given concerning the placement of the hands by Jacob and then the knowing movement, or I'm sorry, the placement of the sons by Joseph and then the knowing placement of the hands by Jacob. It is all about Jesus Christ. Finally, this verse begins to explain why Jacob is noted for this in Hebrews chapter 11. Despite not being able to see, he allowed the spirit of God to guide his hands for the blessing upon these boys. In placing Ephraim above Manasseh, he firmly believed that it would be fulfilled, that the younger would be greater than the older. He blessed them on faith, faith in the work of Jesus Christ. You and I, we owe a debt that we cannot pay But God in Christ is willing to forgive and forget. It is his shed blood that washes the dead away. And through his work, our reconciliation with God is set. Jesus came to undo what we had done wrong. In his work, he became doubly fruitful, blessing Jew and Gentile. Now of his time of affliction, we sing a joyous song. Because of his work, God can again upon us smile. Our third thought today. The blessing is pronounced, verses 15 and 16. Verse 15 says, And he blessed Joseph and said, Anyone? Anyone? He blessed Joseph. The blessing on the sons is actually a blessing on Joseph. By blessing them, he is elevating Joseph to a double status among his brothers. Thus, in the blessing, the naming of Joseph so long ago is once again fulfilled. Like his two sons, his name was based on two words, Asaph, to take away God has taken away my reproach remember she couldn't have a child and she felt reproach and then he's also named based on the word Yosef he shall add and after he was born she said God shall add to me another son in this blessing Jacob has taken away the reproach of his brothers who sold him off and he has added in not one but two sons to the covenant people the work of Christ is pictured by the two sons Manasseh and Ephraim is seen complete in the blessing upon joseph a heavenly drama is being pictured in this earthly ritual verse 15 continues god before me whom my fathers abraham and isaac walked well that's a very unfortunate translation if your bible says god before me whom it's unfortunate both times that god is mentioned in verse 15 it says ha elohim the god it is emphatic and it is intended to show us that the god of the covenant jehovah is the one true God. He is El Shaddai. He is Jesus. He is one. It is in the name of this God before whom Abraham and Isaac walked that the blessing is pronounced. He is the God of the past, belonging to his fathers. He is the God who authored the covenant, who gave the promises. He carried the recipients of the covenant through their lives, and he continued to carry them even after their lives were over. He is Jesus. Verse 15 continues the God who has fed me all my life long to this day. After carrying Abraham and Isaac, he also tended to Jacob. And so Jacob says, Ha Elohim, Ha Ro'e Oti. The God who has fed me is actually translated, the God shepherding me. He is the shepherd of the 23rd Psalm. He is Jehovah. He is the good shepherd of John chapter seven. He's the one who tends to and cares for his flock. He meets their every need as they anticipate Eternal days ahead in the new heavens and in the new earth, <laughs> where there is going to be one shepherd and there is going to be one flock. He is Christ Jesus. Verse 16. The angel who has redeemed me from all evil. Still speaking of the same God, he calls him Hamalach Hagoel, the angel, the Redeemer. The angel of the Lord is the Lord. He is the visible tangible manifestation of jehovah who's already been seen how many times in genesis and who will be seen again and again and again in the pages of scripture he is jesus and he is the redeemer of man this is the very first use of the word go el in the bible right here this word is going to be translated two ways depending on the context the first is avenger of blood the second is kinsman redeemer both of these are ascribed to guess who in the new testament Jesus. He is the one who avenges the blood of his saints, and he is the one who redeems us from our sins. Our kinsmen of the flesh, he is Jesus. Verse 16 continues, bless the lads. The word bless here is singular. It's not plural. (laughs) Thus the names which were invoked are all one. The God of the fathers, the God who watches over us, and the angel who redeems us are one. To this one, our Lord Jesus, Jacob requests a blessing be made upon the two sons of Joseph. Verse 16 continues. Let my name be upon them. Let my name be upon them. He asked that his divine name, Israel, be upon them and that they will be accounted as Israel. These sons born of a foreign woman in a foreign land are to be reckoned as those who have striven with God and who have prevailed. Guess what? They're you and they are me. They are the multitudes of Gentiles who have been grafted into the commonwealth blessings of Jesus by faith. Paul speaks of this in detail in Ephesians chapter 2. And if you want to know if we're ever going to get to the New Testament, right, because we've been in Genesis for a while, the answer is that we are in the New Testament. We have been in the New Testament month after month after month. Because every sermon, I usually quote between 25 and 30 times, and Most of those come from the New Testament. So if you wonder if we're ever going to get to the New Testament, we're in it. And as a bonus for the people that are on YouTube that don't know this, if you want to be in the New Testament more, I do a daily devotional every single day of my life. I've done it for about nine years. And I want to let this out right now is that I take one verse from the Bible and I analyze it. I started with Romans 1, 1 and I went all the way to Revelation 22, verse 21 and I never saved them. And so I thought, I better save it next time. So I started again with Romans 1-1, one verse at a time, and I analyze it. I give a complete analysis, and then I give a life application, and then I give a prayer. So if that's something that you want to receive, all you have to do is go to the website, superiorword.org, and I post it every single morning of my life. Or you can contact me on Facebook, and I post it on two links on Facebook as well. I do that every day, and I've got entire books of the Bible that have been analyzed, but one verse a day with a little life application and a little prayer to make you smile. But we are in the New Testament, so don't fret about that. Anyway, from Ephesians chapter 2. Therefore remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands, at that time, this is you guys, you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now... In Christ Jesus, you who were once far off, think of the boys down in Egypt, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. I mean, my hair is standing up all over my body at this. It is wonderful what God is picturing in these adoptions of these two beautiful sons. Verse 16 continues, in the name of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac. As Jacob is the son of the promised line, and as Isaac was before him, leading back to father Abraham, the man of faith, so may these two be reckoned. Isaac was the submissive son. He was known above all for his obedience to his father's will. Abraham was the man of faith who received the sign of promise. He was given the circumcision. Jacob asked that the name of these two great patriarchs rest upon these two foreign-born sons. May these sons be known for their submission and for their faith. May they be reckoned among the redeemed because of this. And verse 16 finishes with these words, and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth, we finish with this portion of verse 16 with the words Ve'yidgu la'rov Bekerev, Listen to this. Literally translated, this says, "And increase like fish into a multitude in the midst of the earth." It is not coincidence that this concept of multiplication like fish transfers directly into the symbol of fish among Christians. The fish symbol comes from an acrostic of the words Christos Soter, Jesus Christ, God, Son, Savior. The letters of this acrostic spell out the word ichthys, which is Greek for fish. Hence, the Jesus fish, something that was prefigured in an ancient blessing by a dying man upon his two adopted sons, born of a Gentile woman from almost 4,000 years ago. It is a vast multitudes of people like you and me in the midst of the earth, all members of the body of Jesus Christ, our Lord. This verse then gives the final explanation why Jacob was noted for this blessing in Hebrews chapter 11. Not only did he allow the spirit to guide his hands as he blessed, but he by faith blessed them concerning their inheritance, firmly believing that it would be fulfilled even though they were in a foreign land. This, combined with his faith in the promise of being buried in Canaan, is what he is most noted for. By faith, when he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worshipped, leaning on the top of his staff. The reversal of the order, listing his blessing first, is because this blessing, like his father Isaac's blessing, speaks of the future in the covenant blessings. The deathbed charge from the last chapter is listed second, because this deathbed charge Like Joseph's deathbed charge, which is coming at the end of chapter 50, is given for the inheritance of the promised land. The first is an earthly hope for abundance in this life, and the second is a heavenly hope for eternity in God's true promised land. Both look forward in a different way, and together they are what Jacob is above all noted for. He has faith in the promises of God and something that we too can be found noted for if we are simply willing to. To believe just to accept God at his word and in order to be noted among heaven's roles you first have to be a member of God's family then the Bible says that this can only happen one way and that is through Jesus Christ he is the only way to be reconciled to God and to have your sins forgiven and so once again I know everybody here has heard this a million times and I'm going to continue to say it every sermon until I die I want to explain to you very quickly how you could be a Christian if you've never actually done it, you've sat in church week after week after week and never done it, the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. We die because we have sinned and we are separated from God because we are spiritually dead as well as dying physically. The wages of sin is death and the Bible says that all have sinned. All have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. He's glorious, we are inglorious and we can never have fellowship with him because of that. But then he gives us that wonderful word, but but the gift of God the gift it's something you can't earn you can't go and give to your church to earn it you can't do anything to earn what god gives you it's a gift all you can do is receive a gift and that is done by faith the gift of god is eternal life through jesus christ our lord that's what god wants to give you if you will simply believe in your heart that he can do it, it says all who call on the name of the lord will be saved so all he wants you to do is to simply say i can't save myself i need a savior i need jesus Call in the name of the Lord and you will be saved. Do it today. Our closing verse is from 1 Peter chapter 1. It says there, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. God bless you, Darla. Have a wonderful week. Next week will be Genesis 48, verses 17 through 22. It's entitled, The Fullness of the Gentiles. This is our third and final sermon on this occurrence between Jacob and his grandsons. Wonderful stuff is in there. It'll be our 122nd Genesis sermon. I'll tell you before we give our poem of the day that the Lord has you exactly where he wants you and he has a good plan and a purpose for you. So call on him and let him do marvelous things for you and through you. Our poem is entitled, By Faith, Jacob. Then Israel saw Joseph's sons and said, who are these? Are they friends or family instead? And Joseph said to his father, they are my sons whom God has given me in this place. And he said, please bring them to me and I will bless them and I will petition them for God's grace. Now the eyes of Israel were dim with age, heavy and overwrought, so much so that he could not see. Then Joseph near him them he brought, and he kissed them and embraced them tenderly. And Israel said to Joseph this thing, I had not thought to see your face, but in fact God has showed me your offspring. The many years of sadness in this he did erase. So Joseph brought them from beside his knees, and he bowed down with his face to the earth in humbled submission his father to please. And Joseph took them both in a manner forthright, Ephraim with his right hand toward the left of Israel, and Manasseh with his left hand toward Israel's right, and brought them near to him as well. Then Israel stretched stretched out his right hand and laid it on Ephraim's head, who was the younger, we understand, and his left hand on Manasseh's head instead, guiding his hands knowingly, although Manasseh was the firstborn, as he surely did know. Then he blessed Joseph and said, God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has fed me all my life long to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the lads. Let my name be upon them and the name of my fathers Abraham and Isaac and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. In his blessing upon these boys, they were brought into the covenant graces and God has done the same for the Gentiles from all nations, from all peoples, from all places. We share in the heavenly promise by simple faith in Jesus. We are the redeemed of the Lord and set on a heavenly course. God alone has done all these wondrous things for us of our faith, of our works, of our lives. He is the source. Thank you, O God, for the opportunity to be reconciled to you through the shed blood of Christ who is ever faithful and true. Hallelujah and amen. Heavenly Father, thank you for this continuing beautiful unfolding story of the marvelous grace that you have bestowed upon humanity and every single detail has been given us in advance so that we know what's coming. We know what Jesus is going to do and we don't make the mistake that he's somehow not God or that he's not capable of saving or that only some people are going to be raptured or whatever crazy thinking goes through our heads. You are God and you have sent your son our Lord Jesus Christ to save us to eternally save us and to lead us in the heavenly procession for all eternity. Thank you for Jesus Christ, our Lord. Thank you for what you've done for us. We love you. We praise you. All glory to you alone. And we say this in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen. We get our instruction for the Lord's Supper from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And there from the hand of Paul, we read these words. He said, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and he would have given thanks over this bread. He would have said these words, Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth. And he broke it, and he said, Take and eat. This is my body, which is broken for you do this in remembrance of me in the same manner he also took the cup after supper and he would have blessed us as well saying these words Baruch Atah Adonai Eloheinu Melecha Olam Borei Peri Hagafen. Blessed art thou o Lord our God King of the universe creator of the fruit of the vine this cup is the new covenant in my blood this do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. So let's ponder that for a moment. Talk to the Lord about our our week behind us. The body in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. The body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. The body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. The body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. The body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's good to have us at twenty-five. The body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. The body in the blood of Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Ghost. As it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, thank you for the opportunity to fellowship with these other believers. And I pray for anybody that's watching on YouTube that takes communion with us, that they would be blessed as well. Take care of all of these people. Send them to their respective homes and take care of them in the week ahead. And just bless them so much that they... They just can't help but to turn around and praise you and to thank you for every good thing you send their way. You are so worthy of it. Even in times of trial, you're worthy of our praise. How much more will we receive such abundance from you? We love you and we praise you and we exalt you. In the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, amen.